In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Hello, Paul Brown here. Welcome to the first ever International Browns Podcast. Good morning, Cleveland. We might be a little late. I'm back from holiday and it's time for some carnage. We, we won. How was it, buddy? You know, is obviously I think that might be my first and only game in First Energy Stadium this year. And it was it was a classic, I'll call it a classic Cleveland Browns victory. Not a lot of highlight plays, you know, a lot of good, just tough nose football between two teams that were physical. The Browns defense, I think, you know, overpowered the Broncos offense, which is kind of, I think, what we expected. But honestly, shout out to the Browns. I thought the introductions were really cool. Um, I, I know that you don't want to hear this, Jack, but the one player that got the loudest ovation. Now, remember, Baker wasn't there, but the one player that got the loudest ovation on intros was Jarvis Juice Landry. So clearly it was nice to have Jarvis back. Clearly, it was nice that Odell, you know, was going to tough it out through that grade three shoulder sprain. Um, I thought the defense came ready to play. It was a good win going into a mini bye week for that 10 days that they're going to be off heading into the vaunted Steelers week. But, you know, I did, obviously didn't get to, a lot of the TV commentary. You know, a lot of my opinions are going to be that of watching it live. So, you know, what, what did the game look like from your end on the uh, TV side across the pond? Yeah, so, um, well, I went just across the pond. I went an extra hour. I was, I was sat up at three in the morning in Rome watching the game. Um, Tough life, Jack. Someone must have to live it. With, with the missus in the other room asleep, trying to be really, really quiet. Only way to um, have it. Had to be on best behavior. Um, so all the TV commentary just continually talked about how um, one of the two had watched like all 55 of Johnny Johnson's snaps. That is literally all we heard all broadcast. I think you got mentioned about six or seven times. Yeah, I've watched all 55 of his uh, snaps in the NFL. So basically, um, I went back and watched the Cowboys game last year. That was about it. That was about the only game he had significant yeah. carries. Um, but no, it, it was one where it's it, it pretty bland, if you're going to be honest. Not much happened in the entire game. The Browns won, and it was a really great place to be. I haven't seen the win probability chart, but I'm guessing it was pretty much Browns all the way through. Uh, I mean, after that opening drive, I thought it was it was peculiar at first that Browns win the toss, and you watch you know, the captain basically say, no, nope, we're going to take that ball, baby. Give us that ball, because Stefanski, the metric analyst guy, always likes to say, I want to do the double dip. The Bill Belichick is, you know, is famously known. And to see them say, you know what, I'm going to take that, take that ball. And then you're like, you know, Tony Grossi all the time says, why the hell do you take the ball if you can't score? The Browns say, oh, no, 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 Mr. Grossi. We're going to go five plays, 75 yards, and less than three minutes into the game, boom, it's seven, nothing. I mean, they draw up the first pass, the Jarvis, that gets the, crier, the crowd fired up. Then next thing you know, they'd run a misdirection screen to Hooper where everybody thought the ball was going outside the numbers, and then boom, he hits him on the inside. And then it was the Dearness Johnson show. It was 20, then 10, then boom, touchdown. So ironically enough, the Browns did have the ball at the end of the first half with about a minute to go, weren't able to do anything with it. But 
the, the second part of that was coming out at halftime. The Broncos really quick said, we're going to score, you know, a touchdown. And the Browns said, don't worry about that. We're going to counter that. So the yeah. opening drive for the Browns on offense in the first half and second half resulted in 14 of the 17 points. That's coaching, my friend. Yeah, and just looking, I pulled Lee Sharp's win probability data chart. And other than two minutes after the Gordon TD to make it um, 7-17, the Browns were above 75% win probability. And that literally lasted three minutes. It dropped to about 65% win probability. And then it was back to comfortably Browns. Um, Even when Williams scored the late TD, it didn't move below 80%. So um, comfortable, comfortable in terms of the data for the Browns all the way through. Yeah, and I think one of the things after they scored uh, the touchdown there late in the game, I think they punched it in about five minutes left to go in the in the game. The Browns got the ball back, and it was like, all right, we kind of knew what was going to happen. And the irony was Stefanski comes out and says, on first down, I think everybody in the stadium thought it was going to be a running play. He hits it with the play action to Hooper, um, and Hooper now makes it second and two. And then from there – it was like Denver just couldn't get their defense, you know, sorted outright. They used all three timeouts and the Browns just milked the last five minutes off the game, 10 plays, six yards. And, you know, it was good night, Irene. But, you know, overall, let's talk a little bit about the offense. You know, just we'll use good. Just on the offense, the thing I want to touch on is Baker isn't Keenum. Keenum isn't Baker. But the, there's two big differences here. Baker wins the argument if we're talking about arm talent. Hey, if, if you want someone to stand in the pocket and fling it um, 40 yards, I'm betting on Baker every day. But one thing we saw, and there was a really interesting article last week by Stephen Ruiz. Um, I even sent it to you. It was about what's going on with Baker. And it was a real look at Baker. And I don't know. It's, it's where people, Mark Schofield, really good, trusted QB guy. People are talking about Baker's eyes. It's not so much his, his arm and everything like that. We know Baker's got an arm. Not really anything. No one's debating that. It's his eyes and the way he reads the game. That Baker, a lot of the time, there's easier targets. And I don't know whether it's him trying to prove himself or why he does it. Of Either he doesn't see it or he's trying to do too much. And Patrick Holmes does it as well. He's trying to do too much. And it's caught up with them this season. It hasn't been an issue the last two. Really caught up with them this year. There is so much open stuff. And Stefanski is doing a phenomenal job of scheming stuff open. Keenum was throwing it more there. Yeah, probably because Keenum doesn't have the arm talent to look at the deeper stuff. But if Baker, and he did last year, he threw a lot of the open stuff that Stefanski was providing him. And people were like, oh, he's just doing it because of play action, etc. Who cares? I don't care if the quarterback completes it because of play action or not. I care that he completes it. And that... That is really worrying that the eyes we see all from Keenum. If stuff is getting schemed open from Stefanski, people are complaining about his play calling. Yeah, I complain about there's too much part of running. That's fine. But the scheme is right. The quarterback has to execute the easy stuff. Don't give up the, the third downs, convert them. And we saw that with Keenum. It definitely is a tale of, we'll call it, two different systems. So if I were to ask you just off the top of your head, how many three and outs did the Browns have? I think one or they had one. So the last possession of the first down, uh, the first half, 
They went three plays minus two yards in 39 seconds. They were up 10, nothing. And if you remember right, they tried to just pass the ball. They were trying to just get down the field. So they, they went away from the run game. You know, it was one of those ones where I think the first play with the Higgins for minus two yards, then it was incomplete incomplete. But other than that, your drives of five for 75, 12 for 43, seven for 27, 13. So the offense that's being created to, to your point is we can sustain a longer drive. We want to be a clock management type, but sometimes you're right. Baker says, all right, I know this play. And it's funny you brought up Mahomes because everybody now after they get boat raced by Tennessee is like, what the hell is going on with Mahomes? And it's the same thing. He wants that play that is a chunk because for the last three years, all we've been hearing about is how Patrick Mahomes with one snap can change the game. And what's happening is, is if teams take that away, they don't have a running game. Teams are just playing this too deep and Kansas city's not running the ball. Well, with the Browns, we're able to run the ball, but then we kind of, you know, shoot ourselves in the foot, you know, figuratively speaking on some of these drives, Baker needs to learn some of the case Keenum and then also sprinkle in a little Baker. So it'd be nice if when in film Stefanski goes, Hey Baker, remember when we drew this play up against who knows who look what case did. He got eight yards. You had an incomplete pass. His drive went 13 plays. Yours went three and out because you missed that throw. That's the same, you know, because obviously they know the plays in terms of who's scheming what open. But I almost guarantee you on the film uh, Friday or Monday, whatever it was, they pointed out to Baker several times, there's a completion that he made that you haven't made. That's what we need to do. No, and it's, hey, why was Drew Brees up there for so long as this phenomenal quarterback? It wasn't that he was making big plays. It was he was throwing the short, simple stuff, and he was surgical with it. And, yeah, it, Baker isn't that level of Drew Brees where he sees everything and he does it. Um, but that's what he needs to trend towards. And, hey, take the easy stuff and do it consistently. There's a lot of weapons there. And, hey, stretch the field. There'll be times when someone slips – and you can just annihilate them. The DB's in the wrong spot. Go for it. I'm not saying don't throw deep, but he has that talent to throw deep, but he needs to be able to complete the simple stuff, especially on third down. That's what Brady does. Everybody asks about Tom Brady. Tom Brady is surgical in the sense that he's able to dissect you up. You know, how many times have they, they mentioned, oh, Gronk picked up this blitz, or they read this, and it was a short, quick pass here, and then all of a sudden you pinch up on him, and then he goes right over the top of the touchdown. That's where Baker has to look at is, you know, he's got a better arm than Tom, obviously at this point, but Tom plays the game. Not only does he play it deep and in, but he also at times will play it into deep just to have that defense guessing. But, you know, obviously case Keenum goes out there, you know, 63% completion percentage, a touchdown, 200 yards, very efficient game. That's why you have a backup quarterback. So whenever they go in the game, you can run that. And listen, we don't know what's coming into Steelers week. Obviously, we know that Conklin and uh, Chubb are back practicing. We don't know about Baker, but if Case Keenum has to go out there, you know, you made a good point, you know, in our pregame chat or our pre-show chat, Case Keenum versus Pittsburgh. Jack, why not share? Well, I, th I thought we were going to do Pittsburgh preview next. Uh, we're just going to talk about Case Keenum, and we won't talk about that, but what is the value of Case Keenum in terms of this roster? Well, the, the fact is you, the roster's talented, and Case Keenum can then carry you. Um, Case Keenum's not going to light up, but if Case Keenum cannot beat up broken old Ben, then quite frankly, pack it up and go home. Forget about the playoffs. Forget about everything else. You're talking about rebuild. Um, and yeah, something might go the other way and the game gets lost. But if on a talent basis, we cannot match them and beat them, 
They're one of the worst teams in the league. Um, we need to be able to deliver that. And, and that's, I don't like spending the money Case Keenum has as a backup. I'd rather put that into a starter, a defensive tackle, something else. And hey, everyone's well aware of where I stand on that stuff. But having someone like that allows you to go, right, just rest Baker. We need Baker in two weeks' time. We need him against um, the Bengals. They are a really good team, and I'm happy I got a lot of money on them at plus 275 or 11 to 4 if you're in the UK on them to make the playoffs two weeks ago. That's looking a really, really good bet now. And that that is where you need Baker. You don't need Baker this week. We might end up losing, but we won't lose because Case Keenum is the quarterback. Yeah, and I think that's what we saw Thursday night against the Broncos because Teddy Bridgewater versus Case Keenum is probably exactly what you thought that yeah. game was going to be. It's now, potentially adding back Conklin, potentially adding back Chubb is good, but you know, Chubb's coming back to take over a pretty warm running back room. Let's let's talk a little bit about Dearness Johnson before we get into the grades on the offense. 22 carries, 146 yards. I believe it was some sort of a record for a guy making a starting debut outside of like uh, Cadillac Williams or something. But overall, what would you think of uh, good old Dearness's uh, performance, Jack? It kind of just echoes everything I've always said about running backs time out because you get an elite O-line and uh, the magic happens. And yeah, Chubb gets a little bit more than Dearness Johnson. Hey, if, if Chubb has that game, does he have 180 yards, 190 rather than 160? Yeah, probably. But does that really matter in the grand scheme of things? No. Um, he had a phenomenal game and the, the stats show for themselves. And that's why I'm always a believer of you invest in the O-line and you can find these guys. Um, look at them. Look at the San Francisco 49ers. Every time they've paid a running back, it hasn't worked out. And all these guys that they've got is UDFAs, late draft picks, guys that have actually gone off. Um, it, it, it's crazy. But um, no, I'm a believer in you invest in the O-line and people are going to get a rude awakening. In, uh, and it happened after the game. I, and people blew up because they thought I was chatting about Dionis Johnson. Nick Chubb is on the chopping. Not Nick Chubb. Kareem Hunt is on the chopping block the minute Nick Chubb got paid. Only one of them dudes is coming back next year. And uh, it's Chubb. Yeah, and I and I think ultimately we when we talk about the running game, we talk about all right. Well, what allows Dearness Johnson to use his skill? Because this isn't taking anything away from Dearness Johnson. I'm not going down the Hugh Jackson. You know, you and I could have ran through that whole uh, bandwagon. But you know, let's let's turn to the to the PFF uh, sheet here. Your number one graded uh, offensive player is Wyatt Teller, who had a run blocking grade of 91.6. Then you go to Austin Hooper, 73.9. Joel Batonio, 79.2. You have Blake Hance, 77.2. David Njoku, 75. Jarvis Landry, 74.2. You know, these are guys, other than Jedrick Wills, pretty much, and you'll notice they ran right a little bit of time where they put a tight end on that side. These are the guys, the meat and potatoes, that make that running game go. And I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that. I mean, Dearness Johnson himself graded out as the second highest player at a 90.6 because all the yards that were out there, he got. So, you know, when we're talking about what this offense is going to look like if Case Keenum has to play against the Steelers, now I've got Chubb. Now I've got his running mate in Dearness Johnson, and I'm able to continue my one-two punch with a quarterback that's going to, you know, be efficient because the one thing we did see in with the receiving core is – 
he targeted a lot of different guys. I mean, we're talking 10 different receivers are targeted. Jarvis leading the Ray in receptions with five for 37. Austin Hooper obviously had the big one, so he led the team with two for 42. But it's very hard for a defense to try to take away one thing when you're targeting 10 different receivers, including Johnny Football getting his touchdown, which was brilliant to see. Shout out to Johnny Stanton. All right, we'll touch on Johnny Stanton before I go back to Blake Hunts, who you mentioned. But it's something our boy Jackson McCurry flagged. He said, hey, Stanton is pretty good. Do we potentially keep Stanton and move on from Janovich after this year? And uh, to put some numbers that, Janovich, no guaranteed money after this year, 1.6 million. Stanton, exclusive rights free agent, 825K. So that's certainly one that I could see. And Janovich obviously has a, a longer career and longer track record of doing it. But Stanton, there's a risk now that if you expose him to waivers when Janovich comes back, another team could go, we want that guy. Um, he can do a real job and you might have to make a decision sooner rather than later to ditch Janovich and go Johnny football. Okay. Th- these are the problems good roster, good rosters have, but you know, overall Jack offensive line played really well receivers, you know, got open, got gave uh, case Keenum the option. So to implement the Paul Brown grading scale, would you give the offense? Can we just have a moment for Blake hands? How fucking good has Blake Hans been? He's going to be up there with sixth OT, uh, sixth um, O lineman in the NFL, and we're going to pay less than two point five million over the, this year, next year, and the year after for him. Phenomenal. Could that be one where we're not talking about extending Jack Conklin because Blake Hans of all players is on the roster? How crazy is that? Very crazy, but it's also, you know, we saw Bill Callahan do it with Chris Hubbard. You know, a lot of Browns fans were very worried when our, we'll call it, you know, our sixth man or sixth offensive lineman Hubbard goes down because this was a guy who could play center. If we need be, he plays guard, he plays tackle. And then it's like, all right, Blake Hans, we're going to need you to fill in for guard for a playoff game. We're going to need you to play left tackle against the chargers. Oh, by the way, go block Joey Bosa. Oh, by the way, Jed Wills is going to fight it out for us a game. And it's ultimately because we kind of want to put you on the right side. And you're going to find out the week of that you're playing right tackle. So this is a guy I think that Bill Callahan has looked at and said, you know, I can do something with you. And listen, at the end of the day, is he going to be Trent Williams out there on the left side? No. Is he, you know, Jack Conklin on the right side right now? No. But if he's your sixth offensive tackle, you'll notice that when NFL teams have an offensive lineman go out, what do defenses do? They go right at that guy first. And, you know, for him to have a, you know, a a streak that he's on and, you know, you pull up the blocking grades on him, you're talking about 30, you know, 36 is his, um, how many snaps he had in pass blocking. No, uh, what do you have? Three hurries? No, no sacks, no hits. That's, that's pretty good. That's pretty good over there in the right side. Yeah, no, really, really, really impressed with him. So, um, no, it's good stuff, but what, what grade am I going to give it? I just what grade are you going to give the offense? Can I, can I, since Paul's not here, can I give it a seven? Yeah, because I'm, it's a seven. That's, yeah, it, it was, it was a it's seven. Bang average and it's beautiful. It was a seven because it's a win. It's seven because at the end of the day, the team played well. I mean, you know, you, you can't ask. It's a short week. You're just trying to get through it. You're just trying to do everything. The Browns come out, you know, 23 first downs, 376 total yards. What what can you complain about? Nice balanced offense. It just was a good seven. You know, it's a good B average. It was nothing Tennessee S last year with 40 odd points and all that other stuff where we lit up the stat sheet. 
but you got the win and that's what you needed. And I think seven's the right number. Sorry, Paul. Hey, it's, it's his fault not being here. So uh, that's true. Go rogue. Now defense, obviously going up against a lesser power in the Denver Broncos, but they still got a couple decent receivers. Let's, let's not fool ourselves. You know, Cortland Sutton, Tim Patrick, these guys aren't just run of the most schmoes. No offense as well. This roster is going to look really, really good next year when Aaron Rodgers is the quarterback. I said that the moment Jordan Love got uh, drafted, so uh, I'm well on course. Yeah, so it was just one of those things where let's let's just go down the the, – because this was a game I think the defense was really able to flex their muscle. Miles Garrett just doing what Miles Garrett does. You know, what do you have, a sack and a half, two sacks, uh, three hurries, five total pressures – Highest graded defender at an 86. Sione Taki Taki continues to be very, very effective in his role. Plays 17 snaps. Uh, I think the defense played 50 total. You know, so he's out there a little less than 40% of the time. Troy Hill thought his pet hit one of his better games of the season there in the slot. Anthony, I mean, I'll just, they, Browns had nine defenders grade over a 70. Greg Newsom, 73, four. Uh, Joe Jackson, 74, six on 11 snaps. Clowney, 75, seven. So and Clowney actually had on his 39 snaps, six pressures, a sack and five hurries. So very efficient for Mr. Clowney, who's, you know, in there 80% of the time. Again, I think we've seen the NFL regression in terms of the Malik McDowell experiment, you know, right in the middle, we're still battling a little bit. Malik McDowell, 42.4, Jordan Elliott, you know, on 40, on 23 snaps of 48.4, Andrew Billings on 11 snaps, 58.2 and Malik Jackson on 27 snaps, 62.5. So that middle of the defense is still not giving us an NFL starting caliber performance, but at the end of the day, you know, the linebackers, Mac Wilson and 17 snaps graded out as 79.5 Anthony Walker on all 50 snaps, 80.1. The only defenders to play every snap in the game, was Greg Newsom, Anthony Walker, and John Johnson the third? With where this season's gone, it's been really interesting. That our edges have played really well, our linebackers seem to have played really well, and our corners seem to have played well. And then when we look at safety and defensive tackle, there is problems. Yeah, Ronnie Ronnie Harrison's the one to me. There's obviously a lot of chat now, like what's going on in that secondary because Delpit hasn't, you know, he came out like a little bit of a gangbuster in that first game between John Johnson, who got it as interception, I thought had his best game of the season, but we're still missing tackles in that secondary. And I still think there's a little bit of confusion going on between what is John Johnson? What is Grant Delpit and Wonder Rodney Harrison? Like, what are they doing? Like what, you know, Grant Delpit played 29 snaps. So you're talking over 50% of the snaps. You've got an extra safety on Ronnie Harrison, 29 snaps. John Johnson, I was uh, obviously coming in with all 50, but it's one of those things where we got to figure this out because when you go up against these higher powered teams, you're going to have to, you're going to have to be tighter in the back. And as of right now, we're just not. No, it's, uh, it's concerning. Because if you can sling a ball, the Browns have got serious problems. Um, and it doesn't matter how well Clowney and Garrett are playing. Those two are amazing. Um, <laughs> and I've seen lots of people say, hey, we're sort of at edge now. And it's like, Clowney ain't here next year. Just just accept that one. If, if he continues to be as good as he is, then we can't afford the deal that he's going to want. Yeah, I, I mean, he's effective and he's doing it. 
Um, I was just curious. I pulled up. I know there was a talk Jake Burns had mentioned earlier last week regarding where John Johnson plays. So Johnson this week played 40 snaps in the free safety position, six in the box and one on the line of scrimmage. Grant Delpit played. He was kind of the, the Swiss Army knife, three on the line, 10 in the box, nine at free safety and seven as a slot corner. Whereas Ronnie Harrison played one in the line, 16 in the box, nine at free safety and three in the slot. So they are kind of moving those guys around. I think they're just trying to figure out who's going to do what well. But, you know, otherwise from a defensive performance, pretty stalwart against a good team. I expect them honestly to have a pretty good game here coming up against the Steelers. Our strengths match their weaknesses. So I think it should be a good, another game for Miles and company to kind of just generate some, some nice grades in terms of that. But overall, watching it live, I thought the defense, they did an effective job getting off the field in third downs. They played the ball well in coverage. Bridgewater tried to pump that one into the end zone against the wind, and that thing got knocked down right into the hands of John Johnson. He also did a pretty good job. You know, Zagura was talking on Friday of last week about how the Brown secondary coach was telling them, like, don't fall for the underneath dig. Don't fall for the underneath dig. The entire point of that play is they try to slip a post in behind the dig, make the safety jump up, and then they throw it over top of them. That's, I think, when we talk about what we signed John Johnson for is his ability to diagnose, lead a quarterback. Because, you know, Bridgewater's not bad. Let's not make it seem like, you know, he's a slouch. But John Johnson baited him into throwing that, and it was an easy interception in the end zone. And I think from that point there, the Browns defense just did what they do. And Denver's not a team that's going to stretch you deep. So those secondary woes weren't bad. And no offense, Ben is not a guy like he used to be to throw one deep. This is going to be a lot of underneath throws. So that's why I think it really kind of plays into the, uh, the heart of the Browns defense. Yeah. I'm, I'm tempted to give him an eight, but since Paul's not here, I do want to give him a seven. I'll go eight just because I thought they did a pretty good job um, getting off the field. The, the things I'm asking them to do, they held Denver to five, out of, you know, five out of 11 on third down efficiency. Denver only had 223 yards total. That, that to me is pretty good. Um, they, the one thing they did generate a turnover, uh, the time of possession, though. Did you, I don't know if you looked at this stat. Time of possession, Browns had the ball for 36 minutes and 51 seconds to Denver's 2309. I mean, that is a schlacking. So I thought the defense did a pretty good job of getting off the field, had two sacks. I'd say, based on their last two games, I'll, I'll give them the eight on this one. So you can go seven, I'll go eight. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree, right? So now, Jack, I don't know if you've noticed this. Do you know who our number one graded player is in specials lately? I'm going to say Mac Wilson. Mac Wilson. So Mac has taken prefer and said, hey, man, I'm going to be on this roster. I think he's making you know good decisions on specials. And I think the Brown special teams unit overall has looked pretty decent lately. Um, I mean, teams keep trying to do the, what I'll call the anti-duffin and they're trying to run things that they shouldn't run. Um, the kick returner for Denver had three goes at it, and his longest was 21 yards, only averaged 18.7. So you're talking about field positions that the special teams is getting on the plus end of. They had one punt return they gave up for 13 yards, and that was on a boomer by the hammer, who I believe, I think it was a 65-yarder that he hit a little torpedo in. So outside of that, specials, I thought Gillen, average of 51.7, two inside the 20. Now, I would just tell you, I was kind of curious. I'm going to give you a little punter expertise here. I found it really interesting when Gillen came out at halftime 
So the wind was basically moving from the, if you're standing on the Brown sideline, it was moving from the left to the right. So Teddy Bridgewater was throwing into the wind uh, on the interception and Case Keenum was throwing into the wind on that Odell Beckham uh, ball that was underthrown massively. So Gillen gets out there, trots at the other end of the field, kicks one with the wind and kicks it about 78 yards. I mean, it was an absolute torpedo. He just hits it. It's a piss rod and it goes after he hit that one punt. He rugby sprints to the other end and just starts banging them into the wind. So I don't know if that's just something, but I noticed majority of the time he's on the sidelines, he's working on his drop. So basically you'll notice he's taking the ball and he's dropping it off the ground because what you want, if the nose of the ball goes too far forward, the ball will bounce backwards. And if the ball is laying flat where you'd be kicking the backside of the ball, it'll bounce forwards away from you. What you're really looking for when a punter is doing that is when I drop the ball, I want the belly of the ball to hit flat on the ground and bounce straight back up. In essence, simulating what a foot would do on the underside of the ball. He was hitting some just missiles into the wind. On one, I think he got one 57, 58 yards into the wind. And that, now that's taken away the 11 for the line of scrimmage, for those that don't know that. So that total ball flight is about 67, 68 yards. The Denver punter standing right next to him was 20 yards less. So the Browns, I'm hoping they can turn the corner with them um, because it would be nice that when the Browns needed it, he can just say, you know what? Don't worry about this one, coach. I'm going to lay a torpedo out there, 65 yards. Just tell your guys to cover it. Because if you got players, you know, I know Mac Wilson, we talked about a little bit. Del Pitt's out there quite a bit on special teams. You need those guys to make the plays downfield, but you can't really do it if you got a punter banging at 65 and they're bringing it back 30. Jack's yawning because that's what special teams talk will actually do to you. When you start talking about punters and gunners, people start yawning. Yeah, no. Um, it's one, hey, they were solid. Everything seemed to work. I would love to be sat here discussing the Detroit special teams because I'll be waving around like 20 out of 10 um, because they were phenomenal this week. They're just going for everything. But no, we did have the block, which was unfortunate, but McLaughlin did hit, you know, the 52-yarder into the wind, which I thought was pretty impressive. When they went to line that up, I was like, this is a bold strategy, Cotton. But yeah, he nailed it. And I think McLaughlin's doing, you know, he's doing a pretty, he's solidifying that kicking role. So you know, overall, I thought that the Browns had a pretty good day on special teams. And that's why, you know, I'm going to go with an eight because of the block. I'm going to put him in eight for special teams. Sounds good to me. Sounds Seven, good. Eight, so, eight. There you go. Overall, good game for the Browns. Good to get back in the win column because, you know, as we now see in the, uh, the aftermath of last weekend, the Bengals may be for real. And they went into Baltimore and they whooped that ass. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think Baltimore is wildly overrated. And I think a lot of times they just take benefits on garbage time stats and all that other stuff. But, you know, they go in there now and the Bengals are sitting on top of the division at five and two. It's going to be a little bit of a, a fight here. I know we got the Steelers coming up this week and we got the Bengals next week after that. And then we have not long after that, we got to go play the Ravens because I think we got to go what Patriots Lions. Then we got to go to Baltimore. And I think that's, that's a primetime game, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so the Browns got to get business done this week against the Steelers, our first division game, because let's be honest, if you got teams that are winning like that, you got to stay pace if you want to you wanna win this division, which I believe Jack and I also have a little bit of money on Browns winning this division. Uh, I've kind of cashed that out today. Ooh. The Bengals um, won, so I uh, took a loss and walked away. Um, but my Bengals money's staying. Well, there you I, go. I'm a believer in Bengals ball. 
I, I think the Browns will easily make the playoffs. I don't think they'll win the division now. I think they still got a good fighting shot. I still think when I look at the Bengals, I watched them against the Bears. I think they're a little hit and miss um, in terms of that offense. I think Baltimore just, you know, sometimes you go, you know, you come off a big win against the Chargers. Look what the Chargers did after us. I think that was one they thought they could just lay down and their injuries are going to start piling up. I mean, Baltimore is just, they got guys dropping left and right, whether it's offensive tackles or running backs, you know, they're trying to bring Rashad Bateman back in, which everybody told me he was going to be the next Jerry Rice. So I think the Browns, the Browns are in a position where they can go out, you know, beat Pittsburgh. Then you got a good game against New England and Detroit, you know, before you go to those back-to-back division or no, they got Bengals. Yeah. Back-to-back division games. Now, then they got New England, Detroit, then Baltimore. So, you know, three out of their next five games are in the division and it would be nice. Get some W's because I believe the Bengals and the Ravens are away. But no, it's going to be interesting to see. Joe Burrow's for real guys. Oh, there was no doubt. We saw him week two last year, and he was making passes, and I was like, he's better than Baker. But that's beside the point. We won't go down that hot take there. But, uh, yeah, so we'll be back later this week with a little Steelers pregame. We didn't want to leave Paul off of the pregame. Um, he's having a little bit of a, a throat issue. Um, you can you can tweet him your jokes if you want, but. I don't know what he's been sucking. Well, who knows? Hopefully the lollipops. But yeah. So at the end of the day, we do thank everybody for listening, following, shooting us questions. You know, we always do enjoy the good uh, Twitter banner. I don't think we've done a, a, a Twitter handle plug lately. So Jack, where can people find you on the Twitter machine? It's at Jack Duffin, D-U-F-F-I-N. And what about you, Billy? I am at Ian19. Not as cool to be verified like Jack is, but you can find us out there. So um, shout out, actually, as I was walking around, a couple people at the Barley House uh, were fans of the show. So shout out to you guys. Uh, So outside of that, uh, nothing else we got to say. We'll see you later in the week for the Steelers thing. So go Browns. Go Browns.